You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Let's uh, get our Bibles out. Turn to Numbers chapter 21, if you would. Numbers chapter 21. While you're doing so, if you'd stand with me. Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to drop down to verse number 4. I'm going to read through verse number 9 this morning. Numbers 21, starting at verse number 4. The Bible says, and this is talking about the nation of Israel, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that has happened here this morning, the singing, the specials, the fellowship. Lord, it's uh, evident that you're here with us today. And Lord, we need you here today. If we meet here without your presence, without the Holy Spirit here with us today, we meet here in vain, Lord. I pray that what was done here is to your glory. Help me to say the things that will be beneficial and challenging and helpful. Help uh, me to use the Holy Spirit to say the things that he would have me say and not of my own, Lord. Help me to lift you up. We love you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we have a story here that you might be familiar with, with the fiery serpents biting the people. Um, And we see... The nation of Israel is being the nation of Israel. They like to complain. They like to murmur. I find it kind of funny uh, in verse number 5. This is a side, but they say, There is no bread, and our soul loathes this light bread. So we have no bread, but this bread over here. We don't like this bread. It's it's, It's like, what? You just said there's no bread, but then you said, I don't like this bread. The manna, obviously, that God had given them every day from heaven. They didn't like that anymore. Talk about finicky. It just struck me as funny reading that. Very contradictory. But we have the nation of Israel here, God's people, and they are discouraged. They've, uh, they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and many of the generation before that said, we, we can't go in to defeat the, the very tall people that are in there. There's no way we can win. And God got mad and said, fine, go out, wander around till you're all gone and your children will inherit the promised land. Most of them have passed away, and they're, they're right there. They're about ready to enter the promised land. And they've come to the nation of Edom, and they asked 
the ruler of the nation Edom said, can we go pass through? Can we make kind of a shortcut through your land? We're not, we, won't, we won't take anything. Anything we take, we will pay for. We'll stay on the road and we'll just we'll leave you alone. We just need to get to where God is leading us. And Edom's like, nope, you cannot come into our borders. You come into our borders, we're going to fight. And God said, all right, let's go around. And so Moses tells the people, we have to go around. And that added many days to their journey. They actually had to go backwards where they came from in order to get around the nation of Edom. And it says, verse 4, they're, they're bummed. They're very discouraged. They, are, they thought they were about ready to get in. Some, they had just won a battle. Things are kind of looking up. And now discouragement comes. And they're really kind of discouraged about where God is leading them. So much so that, again, they do what the nation of Israel does all the time. And if we're honest, we, we like to do and can fall into the trap of complaining and murmuring, but they took it a step further this time. Verse number five, it says, they spake against God and against Moses. So they, a lot of times they would speak against Moses. They'd give Moses grief, but very rarely did they give God grief and speak against God. Well, here, they're so discouraged and downtrodden and just upset that they decided to speak against Moses and then speak against God himself. And that's not a good idea do to God speak against him and so when that happens God decides to send fiery serpents into their camp so they sinned they spoke against God himself and against God's leader they did not want to follow God's plan they did they were not okay with the direction God was leading them and they almost just wanted to throw everything like a little child does when they can't have their way throw their fit fall you know turn into jelly their bones just become you know, chicken bones, and they just fall, and they just lay there in a puddle on the floor and just whine and cry. And that's what Israel is doing here, and they're shaking their fist at Moses. How dare you? You should have let us die in Egypt. How many times did they say that over and over and over again? And they're just so angry and upset, and God's sick of it. He says, you're not going to speak against me, and so he sends judgment into the camp. And if we read throughout Numbers, we find these fiery serpents and these wild beasts, they've been there the whole time. This whole time they've been traveling through the wilderness, these serpents have been around, but God has kept them away from them. God has kept them out of Israel's camp and kept them safe. They didn't know that. They didn't realize that. But God has held that judgment and that, that punishment away from them until this. And now they sin and the punishment comes in and they're punished for those, those sins. And we see that very literally the serpents come in, they bite people, and they die. There's no cure there's no antidote, there's no go to the ER, there's no suck the poison out, there's nothing. It's You get bit, you're gone, it's over. It's a death sentence. And it says many people died, much of Israel died. A lot of people died because of this sin that they transgressed against God and against Moses. Now they, very quickly it seems, realized the sin they committed. And they're like, oh boy, what have we done? We have sinned against God. We have sinned towards Moses. And they asked Moses to go to God and pray. Please pray that God takes these serpents away. It's going to kill us all. We're all going to die out here. Please, we know what we did. We are sorry. They repent. Verse 7, they says, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So they realized their sin. They, they confessed their sin. They repented of their sin. And they asked Moses to pray to God to take away the punishment. So Moses goes to God and says, this is what they say. And you see what God says there in verse number 8. The Lord said to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So God didn't do exactly what Israel wanted them to do, right? Israel said, take them away, get them out of our camp like it was before. And God says, no, I'm not going to take them away. I'm going to give you a way of escape. I'm going to give you a remedy for the sin that is here. But I'm not going to do exactly what you think I should do, but I am going to give you a way. And he tells Moses to make this brass serpent and put it on a pole. And you probably heard that story. And in my mind, I always picture like a flagpole, right? Like, like a flagpole with a serpent on top of it. And you've seen the medical symbol. A lot of they've, I've seen and read that people have taken that from this story, a serpent wrapped around a pole like a cross. Um, and that very, very well be what it looked like. But my guess is the pole was much bigger than a flagpole. It was probably like a, it's a standard or what you would do when you're going into battle to display your ensign or your standard or who you are. It's something that, obviously, the Bible says all they had to do is look on it. Well, Israel is very large. Not much later here, it says that, you know, you started with like 60 people coming to Egypt. You came out, now you're like the sand of the sea. There's millions of them. If you have a flagpole sitting in the middle of the camp, not very far deep are you going to be able to see that. The further you get away, it's not going to be able to be seen. So my guess, it's like, it's huge. It's not a, it's like telephone or bigger size pole. It's on a giant pole with a serpent on top of it, made of brass. And brass symbolizes judgment, judgment of sin. So we know that the serpent a lot of times pictures the devil or pictures sin. And so why would God say, look to the serpent? But because it's made of brass, it symbolizes the judgment that God has brought upon them for their sin. And the payment that is required for that. And we know, if you've read the Bible and been in church any amount of time, you know this is a picture of Christ. You know, and, and Jesus even talks about this passage of Scripture. Well, we'll get to here in a little bit. So Moses makes a serpent of brass, puts it up in a pole. It can be seen from anywhere, my guess is. And if you're bitten, so the biting is still happening. The serpents are still there. They're still in their tents. They're still in where they cook their food. And people are still getting bitten by these serpents. And I'm guessing there's pain, right? I can't imagine, doesn't say God took pain away. So those serpents that are biting, there's still that fiery serpent. And then there's many different commentaries that say fiery could be the color of the serpent or it could be the sensation or the burning and stinging that you get from the bite. Either way, snake bite's not good. Snake bites that kill you, even worse. So these snake bites are still going around. They're still biting people. People are still getting hurt. But now there's a way of escape. Now God has given them a way to, uh, you know, avoid the death that is guaranteed from these serpents biting them. All they had to do was to look, to behold the serpent on that pole, to look at it, which goes against conventional, or conventional, that's not a word, conventional, I'll get it, conventional wisdom, right? Conventional wisdom says, I'm bitten, I need medicine. I'm bitten, I need help, I need a doctor, I need some kind of physical thing to cure my ailment. I need help physically to take, either I need to amputate, I need to do something to fix this snake bite. And God says, that's not how it works. You need a miracle. And God is a miracle God. And he says, all you have to do, which makes no logical sense, is look. If you just cast your eyes and behold this serpent, you're saved. You will live. Now again, it doesn't say the pain is gone. I'm not, I don't know if we're to, to believe that the pain was still there to remind them. I'm not sure. But it does say that if they look, they will live. They'd be safe. They would not die. Again, nothing medical saved them. Nothing they did saved them. Nothing anybody else did. Nothing Moses did saved them. Only following God's plan. 
only following exactly what God said is what saved them. And again, we know this miracle is a picture of Christ. Go to John chapter 3. We're going to see where Jesus talked about this. John chapter 3. And when Jesus talks about it, it's attached to one of the most memorized verses in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, verse number 14. The Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and this is Jesus talking, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting or have eternal life. And then here, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus takes the analogy of what Moses, what God told Moses to do to save the people of Israel from certain death was to look upon this brass serpent. And Jesus said, just like Moses did back in the Old Testament, I must also be lifted up. And he was speaking of being lifted up upon the cross, becoming sin, judgment, right? When Jesus was put on that cross, he took all the sin of all of us in here, every sin you've ever committed in your life, all the times you talk back to your mom when you're a little kid, that sin. Every time you lied. Every time you stole something. Every time you did something that God would not approve of and God calls sin, Jesus took all those sins on him and he became sin judged for you. Just like that brass serpent represented it, represented judgment, sin judgment on that serpent. Jesus took that upon himself for us. And Jesus said, this is just like Moses did, that's what must happen to me. Why? so that everyone can be saved. The brass serpent was set up to save the nation of Israel from physical death. It would save their life, physical life. But Jesus, because he's God, because he's holy, because he's eternal, because he's omniscient, omnipresent, because he is pure and holy and perfect, he was able to not just save our physical life, but our eternal life. He was able to take all our sins that with, if we tried to pay for ourselves, means death forever in hell. And if anyone looked on that, on him, has eternal life. Throughout all of history, throughout all of the future and all of the past, anyone that looks to Jesus for what he did, salvation of your soul comes. So first thing, we know that our life, what we need to be doing in our life, and this is where I'm going to take the serpent and apply it to us today. What are we pointing to? Right? Moses, God told Moses, look, look to the serpent. And if you want somebody to look somewhere, what do you do? Your parents tell you not to do it because it's rude. But what do you do when you want someone to look? You point. So if I say, look at that tree over there. Go look at it. Everyone look at that tree. See that tree? The fake tree right there. Everyone look at it. There, see? You're looking because I told you to. I had to say it five times, but I told you to. Look at the tree. If you wanted them to do something, you point at it. Say, look at it. That's what you do. And there were people undoubtedly in the camp of Israel said, look to the serpent, look to the serpent. You've been bitten. Look, 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 look to the serpent. So as Christians, as people, who, what do we point to? We point to Jesus, John 3 there, for salvation. We should be pointing people to Jesus that don't know him. Throughout the entire Bible, throughout all the scripture, that's what this book does. This book points to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is about pointing the world to God. Because he's the only thing that's going to save anyone. If we try to live our life, if we try to go to the ER and fix our spiritual problem, if we try to apply salve, if we try to amputate 
our sin on our own, we fail. We die. It ends. It's over. But this whole book points people to Jesus. It says you don't need to do it on your own. Point and look to Jesus. Without the saving grace of Jesus, we live in our sin-bitten world. And those that are lost and don't know him as their Savior, don't know Jesus as their Savior, if their physical life ends here on earth, if you're not saved today, if you don't know, if you die today, when your physical life ends, if you've not looked to Jesus to save you, to take away your sin, you die, and that's it for you. You, just, you don't get to spend eternity with God. You spend eternity in a place where sin is judged forever. There's a payment for sin. There's a payment for the Israel's sin. Fiery serpents. There's a payment for our sin. We don't get fiery serpents. The payment for our sin is death forever in a lake of fire, burning with, he- burning with fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never ending. You can do nothing to pay for that. But Jesus did. He was lifted up on that cross and he paid for that sin. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 22. The Bible says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. This was 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God, he says, look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Nobody is excluded from that. All the ends of the earth includes everyone. Everyone's included in all the ends of the earth. You are included in the ends of the earth. Even if you're in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you are included in all the ends of the earth. You may feel like you're at the end of the earth sometimes, but you're included. We are part of it. And all we have to do is look unto Jesus and be saved. Jesus was put on that cross to be made sin for all of humanity. You don't need to die to sin. You don't need to die because of sin. Look to Jesus and live. That's the most important thing when I can say, what is your life pointing to? As If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm pointing, look to him. He will save you. He is ready. He died for you to save your soul from hell. And all we have to do is look to him. As Christians, we should be pointing people to him. Our lives should point to Jesus. For those that are unsaved to see that what you have, the salvation that Jesus gave you, is available to them. But we have to be the ones pointing to that, showing them that. If we're too busy doing other things and pointing elsewhere, they aren't going to look. They aren't going to see. That's up to us. So first of all, we want to point to Jesus for salvation. Second of all, God's people here in this story in Numbers, in this account, God's people weren't looking to him. We see them looking to themselves. We see them looking to their circumstances. They had forgotten what God had done for them. Think about all that they had been through up to this point. The parting of the Red Sea, can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a giant sea just parting in half and be able to walk across? And then when you got to the other side, see it take out your enemies on the other side. Can you imagine following a pillar of cloud during the day and where to go? Can you imagine if there's just a giant cloud outside and it's like, all right, where are we going to go to eat today, God? And you just follow the cloud and it takes you right where, you, right where he wants you to go. What a miracle that would be. Or at nighttime, right, they didn't have electric, electricity. There were no street lights, headlights on their cars, right? It was dark in the wilderness. But a pillar of fire just happens to be there. And God, when it stops, you put up camp and it lights the entire camp up. It keeps you warm in the wilderness, and it moves. It, it's a, a giant pillar of fire. And again, if a pole that a serpent's on is huge, can you imagine how big a pillar of fire is to keep an entire millions of people warm? 
it's a giant pillar of flames, and it moves throughout the desert, and you just follow it. And then sometimes, out of the pillar of cloud, God audibly spoke to them. They heard God speak audibly. Can you imagine if you, that happened to you while you're reading your Bible this morning? As I'm sure everyone did, right? In your devotions, read your Bible this morning. I see your head shaking, good. Um, imagine if God just started talking to you audibly. You heard his voice. You'd probably fall out of your chair. You'd probably be scared to death. Honestly, you'd probably fall on your face, bawling, realizing that you're in the presence of God and realizing who you are in comparison to God. Can you imagine how much that would change your life? That happened to millions of people. He spoke to them. They saw miracles. Food came from the sky. Water came out of a rock. I mean, they lived, that was their life. And then this comes up and they have to go around and they're like, oh, I hate this bread. We have no water except for the water out of that rock. But we have no water. We have no bread. This is the worst. How dare you, God? How dare you, Moses? Can you imagine having that attitude after everything God had done for them up to that point? Blows my mind. And I judge the Israelites for how could you do that? But then I look at how I live my life and I read what God had done for them and realize that God has now adopted me into his family and then I live my life the way I want to live it. And then I listen to on my radio what I want to listen to that doesn't please God. And I treat other people the way he would not treat people. And I get angry and I get frustrated and I get mad and I don't treat my spouse the way I should and I don't treat the unsaved as I should. And I realize I am exactly the same as those Israelites. That I am no different and how, how hypocritical of me to judge them when I do the same thing. And I'm guessing that probably applies to all of us. They weren't looking to God. They weren't pointing at him. They were pointing inside. They were pointing at their circumstances. They're saying, look at all these bad things. Look what I need. Look what I don't have. God had done all these things, but they began to look at themselves and their surroundings and once they began to do that, they started questioning what God was doing. Can you imagine having the gall to question God and going around Edom? When doubt started crept, creeping in, doubt in who God was started creeping into their life, it wasn't too long they began to just outright speak against him and his leader that he chose for them. They started to speak out against him. And that's, you know, that's not just talking behind his back. That's actively seeking negative towards that person, Moses, and towards God. It's, it's anger. It's, it's just spewing venom like a fiery serpent themselves. It's easy for us Christians to look around our, our situation, to look with inside ourselves and our life and get distracted from looking at God. We can get distracted from pointing to Jesus, and we'll just use the cross up there, pointing to him. And we can, you know, while we're supposed to be pointing to him for the laws, pointing to him for our life, again, because where you point, that's where your direction is. That's where your focus is. It's hard to point at something. If I'm looking this way, I'm going to lose exactly where the cross is because I'm not focused that direction. I'm not pointing that way. I'm pointing elsewhere. It's easy for us in our life to get distracted and point elsewhere, point within, point in our situation, point at what someone else did to me, point out what someone else said about me, point out what someone else should have done but they didn't do. And we, we get into this pointing fingers game. And it's, it, not only is it sinful to point and judge and, and do that to others, but it distracts us from what we should be doing. 
where we should be pointing. We should be focusing on Jesus. If we stray, if you start straying, if your life gets to the point where you're focused and you're pointing elsewhere, you're looking elsewhere, God will find a way to get your attention. If you're his child, if you're saved, God will find a way to get your attention. Now, hopefully he won't use fiery serpents, right, because that would be bad, but he'll find something in your life to kind of wake you up, to say, hey, you're looking the wrong way. Let's focus, focus up here. Focus on me. You know, we do that in youth class, especially on Wednesday nights and, and in the winter when it gets dark outside. And I mean, never in here. No one ever in here dozes off. No one ever here like this starts to nod. You've been up late last night or whatever. Everyone's awake in here, but we do. Come on, wake up. And you get the loud jolt, and it's like, okay, refocus you. Oh, man, my eyes were closed. Wow, that's embarrassing. Hope no one saw. I'm awake now. You try not to jump real big because then everyone notices. But God gets our attention in our life. He'll get your attention. He'll do something. He'll clap. He'll snap. He'll do something supernatural to get your attention and say, hey, quit pointing elsewhere. Where are you focused? Focus on me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We must focus on him. We need to keep our eyes on him. So let me ask you, who are you pointing to? Who's your life pointing to? In the wilderness outside Edom, when the serpents came and started biting people, they began to die. There was nothing a parent could do for their child. Imagine you have a child, and they get bit by a snake. There was nothing they could do for them. Parent couldn't do nothing for that child to save their life. Now imagine Moses puts up that serpent and your child gets bit. What are you going to do with that child? You're going to run him as close and as fast as you can to that serpent. You're going to say, look up there, look up there, junior. Look up there, little girl. Look up, look up, look up at the serpent. Be saved, be saved. You're going to do everything in your power as a parent to take your child to the place where God will save them by doing what God said. You're going to do everything you can to point them to that serpent and point their attention in their direction. There's nothing a husband could do for a wife that was bit. There's nothing a wife could do for a husband. There's nothing physically, humanly possible they could do. If a best friend was bitten, they're gone. If a family member, a grandma, a grandpa, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, friends from work, people you labored with, those that put up tents together, the ones that put up the tabernacle and took it down, the ones they worked with every day, if they got bit by a snake, there's nothing they could do to help them. Nothing. They were as good as dead. The only thing they could do is point them to Jesus. In this case, point them to that serpent that represented Jesus. They could only live through God's plan. It was the only way. So a wise parent, then, a wise spouse, a wise friend, a wise family member would always be looking for someone that's bit and immediately showing them the serpent. Immediately taking their attention and directing it towards that serpent and saying, look there, save your life. So since that's a picture of Jesus, and we're just like the Israelites in our lives, how urgent is it for you to point people to Jesus? How on just everyday living, everything you do, every choice you make, every word you say, is pointing people to Jesus? Are you pointing the lost to Jesus? We talked about that already. We should definitely be pointing the lost to Jesus. But what about your family? What about the Israelites were already God's people. God had already chosen them. They would represent God's, God's family. They would represent saved people just like us. Now, while we can't die and go to hell, once you're saved, you're saved. You can never, you can never ever, 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 ever lose that. God is more powerful than anything you can do 
to lose your salvation. God will let you, God keeps that for you. It's not in your control. But the Israelites still had to look to that serpent to save their life. And guess what? Sin will destroy your life as a Christian. The sins that you commit, if we continue to commit them, those fiery serpents come in our life, they will destroy you. They will take you away from God's will. They will, they will inhibit you from being who God wants you to be. Sin will poison you. Sin will burn you like fire. Just like a snake that bit your leg and, and eats you from the inside out, sin will do that to a Christian. And if we're not looking to Jesus to help us with that, it will destroy us. And it will destroy your spirit and your soul. So I'm going to ask, we're going to do an illustration here, okay? I need some audience participation. So if I ask you to stand up, I'm going to ask you, some of you to stand up, and I just want you to point up there to the cross. Okay, so this is the illustration. In our life today, where we live, here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the surrounding areas, we live on earth today in 2020. And our job as Christians is to look to Jesus for everything in our life to become more like Christ, to live the life that he wants us to live. And sin prohibits that from happening. So Brother Juan, you mind standing up and just pointing to that cross? Now Brother Juan's a Sunday school teacher. He's a father. He's a husband. And his job is to point to Jesus. His job is to point his family to Jesus. His job is to point those in his class to Jesus. His job is to point those that are at work, that work for him to Jesus. Miss Pam, you mind standing up and pointing to the cross? Miss Pam also teaches Sunday school. She's a mother. She's a grandmother. She's a wife. Her job is to point to Jesus. Pointing those around her in her life that are unsaved to Jesus and the people in her family to Jesus. Your arm might get tired. If you need to rest, you know, or do some pose that's a little easier, that's fine. Brother Roger, you mind standing up and pointing to the cross? Brother Roger Watson? Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. Yes, sir. Pointing to Jesus. That's our job. Sam, pointing to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our life. Brother Gabe, you mind standing up and pointing to Jesus? Do you see our picture? This is our job. Everyone that's sitting here, this is our job. Our job is to point unsaved to Jesus. It's to point our children to Jesus. It's to point our family. It's to point our friends to Jesus. Does your life, the life you live, point to Jesus? You can point with your fingers like we're doing right now. You can point with your words. But what about when you go to work on Tuesday afternoon? Does the life you live point to Jesus? Or does the life you live point here? And then you come to church Sunday, and now I point to Jesus as I knock my microphone off. Do you point to Jesus on church days? Or do we point to Jesus every day? And that's the challenge. That's the struggle as humans, as Christians that have sin, that still can control our life, is pointing to Jesus every day, with every word, with every thought. Do the thoughts you have point to Jesus? Do the things you see point to Jesus? Do the things you hear, do the places you go, do the people you hang around with, does that life make up a life that points to Jesus? There's evidence in your non-spoken life that points to Jesus, or it points elsewhere. Someone's looking at you. 
Someone is looking at you to see who you point to. They might not even know that's what they're looking at, but they're looking to see what your life points to. The devil wants to get you focused and pointing elsewhere. The devil wants you to focus on yourself, focus on your situation. He wants to trip you up and so that, that you are tripped up and then this, so those around you, those that look to you, also get tripped up because you got tripped up. And it's a domino effect. The devil doesn't need you to go murder somebody or rob a bank or do some terrible sin. He just needs you to focus elsewhere. Because if he could get you focusing elsewhere, then you're not going to be focused on those around you that also need to be focused on Jesus. And they're going to be focused on elsewhere. And it's going to trickle down throughout your family, throughout your life, throughout the things around you on who's being focused to. He wants to trip you up. But as a Christian, you've got to stay focused. You've got to point to Jesus. You've got to point to Jesus with everything in your life. Everything that you are. And you will fail. You will mess up. You will be selfish and you will make mistakes. You get back up again and you point right back to Jesus again. You confess your sins. You ask Jesus to forgive you, knowing he will and has forgotten about it. And then you get right back to pointing to God. You point to him with your life. You point to him with everything you have. It's not just you. It's everyone around you. It's all of us. And it's our responsibility. Now imagine, we just picked a handful of people, but imagine if everyone that's in this room and everyone that's in this building right now made it their job, made it their priority. Not just the adults, not just the teachers, but every husband, every wife, every teenager, every child. If every human being lived their life pointing to God, Let's do that. Everyone, stand up. Point to that cross. Every single person in here right now, if you're able to stand, stand up and point. Imagine the power that is behind a mount of people like this pointing to Jesus. Imagine what God can do with a group of people that are wanting to point people to Him. Not to themselves. Not to their situation. But imagine if every one of us, just look at the people in here, look around, look at who is up and pointing. If all of us in our daily life stood and said, look to Jesus, I'm going to look to Jesus with my life. Everyone else, look, don't die. Look at that serpent. You, you've been bitten. Don't die. Don't die. Look up here. Look, look, look. All you got to do is look over there. Look to that serpent. You don't have to die. If we all did that in our life, imagine the ripple effect it has. It has, it's huge. It spreads. And we as Christians, we fail to do that often. And so the ripples don't happen. We don't point to Jesus. We point to ourselves. Point to Jesus. Show God he is important. Show him you believe him. Show others you believe him. God is worth it. It's like that song Carla sang. It's the power. It's the power of the cross. Point to him with everything you have. Everybody's arms getting tired. Point to him with everything you are, with everything you have, even when you get tired, even when it gets hard, even when you don't want to. He's worth it. He's worth following. He's worth pointing to. He's the only one that is. And he's the only one that's going to get you through. You can stop pointing, but remain standing. Every head bowed, every eyes closed.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.